Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. This week's episode is an interview. It's an interview with our first returning guest, Heather Arndt Anderson. Uh, last time we talked to her, it was all about the history of breakfast. It is, again, food-related, and we are going to talk about something near and dear to my heart, chilies. I am one of those people who probably cannot be trusted with capsaicin. Whenever I am cooking with anything remotely spicy, I will probably overdo it. This has resulted in culinarily dubious food items prepared by me in my household. So, I enjoyed this talk a lot. Hope you do as well. Hi, Heather. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How are Uh, you? All right, excellent. Uh, Thank you for agreeing to talk to me about chilies today. The first question I want to ask you was... Uh, this might sound really basic, but I think it's it's a good idea to define terms. Uh, what is a chili? Oh, a chili is a... Well, so you can distinguish the sort of vegetable capsicums from chilies. But chilies are any of the um, the fruits of the, the capsicum genus. Um, they can range in uh, spiciness from zero Scovilles, or not spicy at all, like a green bell pepper, all the way up to, I think, the current... Record holder is Ed's Carolina Reaper, which has, I think, like 6 million Scoville units. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're botanically a berry, which kind of wigs me out because um, I don't think anyone actually considers it a berry besides pedantic botanists, <laughs> which, you know, they're not all pedantic, but um, the ones that are really are. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. They're like, they can be red, purple, green, yellow. They can be round, they can be shaped like a bishop's cap, or they can be long and skinny. Okay. Um, where are they originally from? They are originally from the Americas. They are an American crop or a New World crop. Um, they uh, were originally found anywhere from Mexico down to Brazil. Okay. And uh, do we have any records of how long people have been eating these things, using them for hotening of uh, cuisine? <laughs> Um, not, you know, the, we have archaeological records that, um, give us some idea, but not written records that are very accurate. Okay. Any, like, estimates? Oh, thousands of years. Okay. Tens of thousands of years. (laughs) All right. But Chili's, your book is Chili's A Global History. Why did you choose, uh, that title? Um, well, it's very uninteresting. It's because it's part of a, a series of books by Reaction Press um, <laughs> called the Edible Series, and each of the 40-something books in the series are ingredient, a global history. Okay. But um, the history of chilies is entwined with the history of exploration, of trade, of you know discovery or imperialism or whatever you want to call it. That's correct? It's true. And it's funny because... Um, Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? You you are. Okay. You are allowed Chili's to cuss. You can say fuck right now. Fucking fuck shit. There you Chili's go. end up being <laughs> one more thing that Columbus sort of fucked up. He, he came to the New World looking for spices and wealth. And he did find some of that. You know, he found, I think, vanilla came from the New World. And he, there was some gold and jade and stuff. Um, and people. But Chili's ended up, <laughs> yeah, yep, um, lots of slaves. <laughs> Does useful, helpful slaves. Um, he found chilies. And he on the first go-around, he didn't actually think that they were worth much. It was his second trip to the New World where he did, um, his journalist made a note that they might be worth something. And so they did bring a bunch back to Europe, to Spain. 
Um, and the problem with chilies is that um, they didn't only grow in jungles and in uh, hot tropical places. It turned out that anybody could grow them. And so they very quickly became adopted by the working class and the, the poor. Um, so any power they had as a potential item of wealth was kind of removed. In fact, they were um, considered very boorish and uninteresting by most of the upper classes in Europe for centuries because of their accessibility to the poor. Mm -hmm. And those chilies that um, Columbus and uh, the Spanish were bringing back, mm -hmm. would those have been spicy chilies or would they yeah. be more like a green bell pepper? Or? No, they'd have been more like your, your garden variety cayenne. The capsicum annuum is one of the most common chilies. Um, they had, I mean, more chilies, more chili varieties in Mesoamerica than I don't think anybody could have um, predicted. And some breeding did happen, but um, there's, I think there's like seven main species from which everything else is sort of developed. Okay. And it's spread all over the place, right? I mean, we're also yeah. talking about not just Europe, but also down South Africa as well, right? Yeah. Well, it was um, the Spaniards that brought chilies to Europe and it spread through there. But the, the thing is, is the Spaniards were getting a lot. They were getting griefed by pirates working for the Ottoman Empire. And so it was the Portuguese who had a pass. But um, yeah, because Spain was always getting griefed and... Um, Portugal had free passage to bring uh, the chili to India, to Goa, mm -hmm. um, and um, to China, and brought it to Japan. And J Japanese didn't really uh, adopt it as widely as Thailand or uh, China or Korea. But, um, yeah, we have the, the Spanish to thank for getting chilies out of the New World the first time around, but it was the Portuguese that got them into the right hands. Okay. Um, I think some listeners might be surprised to hear that, given that when we think of, you know, spicy cuisine, mm -hmm. we'll think of things like, you know, Indian or Thai food. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of odd to realize that, like, oh, that is not, well, saying not originally Thai seems a little strange when you're talking about, like, centuries upon centuries. <laughs> but it's not from there. It's from it's from the Americas. Yeah. And, you know, it's, to give it a little perspective, um, it is hard to imagine Italian food without the tomato, but... Mm -hmm. um, or a lot of uh, European food without the potato, but those are also New World crops that uh, these cultures have only had a couple hundred years, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things is very short time. Um, but yeah, Thailand, Korea, and India, and um, many of the countries of Africa uh, haven't had very much time to um, incorporate this ingredient into mm -hmm. their cuisine, but now it's hard to imagine the cuisine without it. I can tell you that as an Italian-American who thinks red sauce is kind of boring, mm -hmm. I love pointing out that tomatoes are not originally <laughs> from Italy. <laughs> and a lot of people think that that's dumb uh, when I do that. But how does this thing become popular? Like, why? how does it... Is it popular in um, relation to, say, sugar or coffee or tobacco or potatoes or other new new world crops. Well, it's you're talking about kind of two divergent topics because mm -hmm. sugar, coffee, and tea and cocoa were new world products. Well, sugar wasn't necessarily, but um, that were only accessible to the elite. Mm -hmm. um, but the potato um, is famously a working class food, and the chili again was was one that people could grow that in their yards. Um, so it really removed any of this like prestige uh, the ingredient may have had had it been a fussier plant okay so does that uh, affect how people sort of um cook with it then yeah so when we look at the asian cultures that adopted and embraced the chili um we start seeing people growing they're growing it in their their kitchen gardens they're using the ingredient for um as a vegetable and 
you know, as an esculent and as a seasoning. And that's something that not a lot of the other uh, New World crops could do. Um, it was either with tomatoes and potatoes and um, some of the nuts and stuff. They were either just like a staple food or a seasoning, but never used as both. Mm-hmm. Um, chilies are very nutritious. They're a very good source of vitamin C. So for um, countries that don't have a very vitamin C rich diet, is a really good way to get some vitamins in their diet, um, especially in Northern Europe. Um, Hungary is probably the most famous European country to use the pepper for paprika. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because of that, like we didn't have vegetables growing year round, um, but chilies could be dried and um, as a, like a seasoning could still incorporate vitamin C into your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about paprika though, was uh, the Hungarians were the first to breed non-spicy varieties of chilies. Okay. When I, I think mean, of on Hungar- purpose, anyway. When I think of Hungarian paprika, I think of um, more smoky. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Spanish paprika. Okay. The pimenton is, um, tends to be smokier. There's a whole variety. There's like six or seven different types of grades of um, paprika in Hungary. But yeah, it was the work of Hungarian botanists and plant breeders that really mm-hmm. brought that variety. Okay. I guess something I'm still like curious about, though, mm-hmm. is that I think of chilies as being pretty well integrated into Indian or Southeast Asian cuisine, mm-hmm. but less so with a lot of European cuisine, even mm-hmm. though it came to those areas via Europe. Mm-hmm. And was there like a class thing going on? Is that what yeah, you're saying? I mean, is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly. That was what <clears throat> I was trying to get at before. Yeah, it was, there was a class. Uh, there's classism. There's also some, um, it's not just sociopolitical, but there were uh, religious reasons why chilies didn't spread as fast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Protestants in Germany didn't really give a fuck about what was cool to Spaniards, you know, uh-huh. because they weren't Catholic. And there was, so there was this, um, just a lack of interest in, in, uh, getting along with whatever Spain was, was bringing to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and Germany and a lot of the Scandinavian countries still don't really use, uh, the capsicums the way Eastern Europeans and Hungarians do. The people that were not necessarily more friendly to Catholics, but also had more of an Ottoman influence. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when we were at the Russian grocery store today, Joe and I, um, took a little stroll through our friendly neighborhood, uh, Russian market, and I picked up a jar of ajika, which is one of my favorite Russian condiments. It's a hot pepper paste, um, and it's very delicious, salty and savory and hot, but it's not like any hot sauce that you would get from a Mexican grocery store or um, an Asian store at all. Mm-hmm. It's totally different. So you said places with an Ottoman influence were more likely to have uh, chilies incorporated into their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that? How did they come to the Ottoman Empire? And why did the... You say the Protestants weren't into it because <laughs> they didn't give a fuck what uh, uh, Catholic Spain was doing. Uh-huh. But the Islamic Empire, mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, let's get in on that. How did that happen? Well, they were sort of running the game in the Mediterranean. And um, they were... Preventing some travel by certain people to different parts of the world mm-hmm. um, by their by dint of their being present there, um, but the Ottoman explorers and uh, some of the like the nomadic people, mm-hmm. they liked the chilies also, and so it was introduced by shepherds and people uh, who had contact with Ottoman traders hmm. that were using it in their diet. It was a delicious, you know, way to make their food more interesting when you're eating nothing but like, mutton kebabs and stews. <laughs> Adding a little chili really helped to make things a little more interesting, especially if you couldn't afford fancy spices. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it go? Uh, how did it get incorporated into different types of African cuisines? 
Oh, well, it's the same slave trader ships landing mm. on the coasts. And then um, the little, you know, their red, happy-looking little fruit. And birds quickly started spreading. <laughs> because, you know, birds don't have capsaicin receptors in their mouths. They can eat chilies, and it doesn't hurt their beaks. Or... Wait, really? Yeah. So, so I the... could just, like, feed a bird a habanero. Totally. In fact, if you have backyard chickens, you can add a little cayenne to their feed. I buy the big sacks of gochugaru, like the Korean chili flakes. It's mm-hmm. a little more affordable that way. And it warms up their tummies on the inside, but it doesn't taste spicy and hurt their mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the reason why those um, cayenne-flavored suet cakes are so good for keeping squirrels off your bird feeders, because the squirrels will get a mouthful of spicy heat and... Stop robbing your bird feeders. I, I think we just hit like peak Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. talking about how <laughs> you can feed your backyard chickens uh, chili. Uh-huh. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. let's make this, you know, special craft mixture of yeah. you know, bird food. Yeah. Well, I'm um, certainly not the first person to think of it, but it, yeah, it works. Um, so birds were spreading the chilies mm-hmm. in Africa from starting at the coast and they moved inland so quickly that most Africans just assumed that it was a native ingredient. Um, hmm. It was another one of those examples of here's something that tastes good um, and has some healthful qualities that we can just grow. We don't have to rely on, um, you know, spice traders to, to bring it and then not being able to afford it. Okay. Um, and also we're talking about specifically uh, Central West Africa where the European slave trade would have been present. Yeah. Not like Africa. Africa is just like... Yeah, yes. We're talking about the individual countries. Okay. Because Africa is... Not a country. No. Right. There are... I can't think of any countries in Africa that don't have some use of chili. Um, Ethiopia certainly loves the chili. There's lots of very spicy or um, pungent food in northern Africa. East Somali food, I think. But it's all over the place in Africa. Yeah. 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 Um, What countries do you think were the most resistant to having chilies incorporated into their diets? Like uh... Germans, okay. like I said, um, Germans didn't care for it. You know, ironically, I don't think of Portuguese food as being particularly spicy, um, even though they played the greatest role in getting it, getting chili spread to Asia. Um, I don't think a lot of um, South Pacific Asian, like a lot of the South Pacific islands, use very much of it, and Japan doesn't use as much as I would have expected. They do mm-hmm. have a little bit of, you know, like shichmi, the togarashi you can put on your soup, but it's just a little sprinkling condiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that the most most of the northern countries uh, seem to. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're resistant to it. They just it didn't naturally occur to them to include it in their diet, and they didn't have much contact with the ingredient. Okay. Um, I also want to get into what does capsaicin do to you when you're eating a bunch of spicy food mm-hmm. and you start to feel like all hot and sweaty and everything. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that? Well, it, it's it actually inter, it interacts with your your nervous system so that your your brain gets a signal that it's in pain, even though you're not actually being injured. Um, and so you get a flood of endorphins, and then it has some other uh, physiological. Um, symptoms where it you know does make you sweat it um can stimulate the appetite it can alleviate constipation which i think most people understand that one pretty clearly um 
Um, but yeah, that's how capsaicin works as a topical treatment. It makes your nerves think that you're being injured, even though you're not. And, uh, and then your, your brain floods your blood with endorphins to help alleviate the pain. And that's why it works as a painkiller. Hmm. How much capsaicin is too much? Like, is it possible to actually injure somebody, um, or for you to actually like shred your esophagus yeah. or stomach by eating like too spicy food? I think that people, yeah, I mean, I think you could probably get some sort of like ulcerations in your digestive lining if you overdo it too much. Um, I think there was a case where some prisoners, I don't remember where they were exactly, it's in the book somewhere, um, were sprinkling their daily ration of hot sauce on their prison bars and over the course of some time eventually ate through the metal and um and that was a good indication that maybe this isn't the best thing to have in your stomach every day but for for people who grew up eating it i think that you just you're, you get used to it just like your resistance to spicy tastes you know you build that tolerance um but when it's, again, like an external application, there have been cases of people going into cardiac arrest from pepper spray, um, military-grade pepper spray, um, is, can be very dangerous. And, mm -hmm. in fact, the U.S. is the only developed country where civilian use of pepper spray is legal. It's, you know, outlawed in every other civilized country. Um, go America. <laughs> and... Yeah, I think in India they were developing um, a type of, it's not like mustard gas, but a, a type of grenade that um, uses Buchalokia peppers. That's a ghost pepper, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible to weaponize capsaicin, and mm -hmm. I do discuss that in the book a little bit. How did that end up happening? Like, do we know who the first person to weaponize this food item was? Yeah. It was okay. It the Mayans. <laughs> okay. That, that goes back pretty far. Yeah, you know, um, unruly children were punished with chili smoke. Holy shit. Yeah, if you were being a little shit, your mom would hold your ass over the burning chilies, and that was your punishment. Um, and, yeah, and uh, it was like in Montezuma's court, might have been earlier than that even, um, these these guys came to collect some taxes, and uh, the governor's like, okay, just sit tight and sit in this room, and I'll... I'll go get the guy with the money and like sealed the room and flooded it with chili smoke and they all died um, from that. So there are those cases of just, you know, really bad chili smoke. Then um, in Japan, uh, an early form of ninja blinding device uh, used sand that had been uh, boiled with chilies and you'd grab it, you know, you'd wear it around your neck and then you'd, you'd grab it, pull the little plug out and blow this like chili flecked sand into your opponent's eyes, um, blinding him. And then you were able to escape. So the, the idea that ninjas could just like disappear was, had a little bit more of a, a an analog. I mean, it was like a real thing, mm -hmm. not literally disappearing, but blinding people. Right. Um, what about what we would consider like modern day pepper spray? Where's that come from? It's capsaicin. It's not the same as mace. I think there's a technical difference, mm -hmm. but yeah, it comes from. But do capsaicin. we know? Do we know who invented it though? Oh yeah, it was invented um, for the post office for um, mailmen to um, keep dogs off of them and and bears, you know, to like out in nature hiking. Yeah, it was developed by the government. The U.S. government. Yeah. About what time? <laughs> I think it was in like the 50s or 60s. It wasn't that long ago. Wow. 
Um, do, do you know if the post office actually still issues it for their carriers? I think that, if I recall correctly, I think that our mailman, his name's Andy, so I call him Mail Mandy. I think that he has like a little holster that he wears on his belt with a little bit of pepper spray on it. Well then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a Scoville scale earlier. Mm-hmm. What is that? Oh, Albert Scoville was the first to um, sort of quantify capsaicin. And so um, Scoville units are um, it's basically the amount of capsicum or capsaicin that can be detected by the human mouth. And it ranges from zero. And they, they put it in a, like a sugar solution. It's kind of a... It's the called the organoleptic test it's this like really long very um organic chemistry rich discussion but yeah it's a scale that um the problem with it though is that it relies on human taste and so there's Mm -hmm. a great range of error and uh, the process by which we measure scovilles has since been um i guess digitized we have like more of a, a a qualinal a way of doing it. Okay. So let's try people who haven't um, heard about it. Let's try to like maybe get them familiar with it. So a gr- like green bell pepper would be zero, right? Yeah, be zero. Okay. And where would say jalapeno be? Uh, it's you know, between like three and 10,000. Okay. And uh, habanero? That's like in the 100 to 350,000. How about a ghost pepper? Oh, God. I think it's like six million. A ghost pepper. Um, they're oh they're like anywhere from like eight hundred thousand to about two million. I know there's a, like the Ed's Carolina Reaper that I mentioned before. It's, yeah, so it's in the millions of Scovilles. So it's my understanding that the ghost pepper is the hottest naturally occurring pepper, right? I don't believe that that pepper is naturally occurring. Oh, um, okay. I think that it was bred to be that way. Okay, but it gets much hotter. Yeah. As far as um, February 2014, I think, or as of maybe even last February 2015, I think that the Ed's Carolina Reaper was still the hottest chili. And it was, um, yeah, he is a plant breeder. Um, and I don't know, these guys, chili heads are weird, man. I um, These guys are always trying to beat each other up with more and more Scovilles. Mm-hmm. And so they just for fun just see how hot they can get a chili they they do this crazy breeding okay so that chili right there the carolina reaper mm-hmm. would that actually be consumable by a human could I don't you think so no i mean you yeah you have to use it in other stuff you can make uh you can add it to things but i don't think that i'm sure there's some asshole out there who would eat it on a dare you know and they would be in pretty bad shape um but yeah it's not that's like weaponized capsaicin level okay you could just you know those dudes could just use pepper spray instead of banaca peppermint <laughs> spray in their mouths <laughs> one thing i wanted to um end on though is uh the uses and consumption of chilies mm-hmm. what are your favorite uses uh of chilies like how do you use use them at home and like any, any kind of like suggestions for listeners uh, yeah um i just made the most delicious caramels for holiday gifts and um i sprinkled smoked ghost pepper salt um on top of the caramels um and i really like i don't like gratuitous use of chili in every single thing like i think that stupid rogue or yeah it's rogue breweries um sriracha beer is an abomination (laughs) but i think that you know having a little bit of heat with something sweet it's not only a traditional you know like mesoamerican use for it 
but it's just really delicious. I love um, our local, be local hot honey. That's a really good drizzle, a little like cayenne honey or hot honey on some fried chicken or just um, on a hot buttered biscuit, some, you know, like cayenne with honey. I think that's just one of the best things in the world. Um, I love, uh, I put hot sauce on a lot of stuff. But again, not, not gratuitously, not because I'm trying to be a badass who eats hot sauce on everything, but I just really like the flavor it imparts. Um, I love a jika, like I mentioned. I stir a little bit of that um, into some um, sour cream. It makes a really nice condiment to put on a piece of fish or some mm -hmm. soup. All right. Yeah. Excellent. I mean, it's like one of those, it's a, kind of a big question. There's so many different ways to enjoy chilies. It's hard to pick just one. Yeah, they could like look at your book and maybe get some ideas. Oh, yeah. I make a really good kimchi stew. Um, I love Kung Pao chicken. Oh, you know, there's a snack. It's called Magic Chili. It's, it comes in a very happy looking bag. It's, it's kind of like um, Cracker Jacks for chili heads. But instead of popcorn, it's just deep fried, dry chili, and you just crunch on it like chips. And it's not too spicy, but it's a little spicy. It's got like peanuts in it, and it's really good. Magic that, chili. That sounds delightful. Mm -hmm. All right. Heather, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Once again, Heather's book, it is called Chili's A Global History. Uh, and as always, we are on iTunes. Give us a review and rating and such. I am on social media like Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next week with the first in our multi-part mystery series. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.